Hello and welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn, host of the Spiritual Spiral. Freaking excited to welcome my guest, my friend Vitas Biskowskis, to the show. We will get to the conversation really quickly. We got right into it right away, so I, I didn't really say a few important things until the very end of the podcast. But again, Vetus Yoga, he can be found on Instagram, at Vetus Yoga. He also, also teaches at Udaya online, udaya.com. He teaches at Yoga Works uh, on Main Street. He teaches at, I think it's one of the first, if not the first, donation-based yoga studio in the country over at SMPY East the corner of 6th and Santa Monica. And he's been, he was my main yoga teacher for a few years. And I went to him again this week on Monday and on Sunday, and I was reminded of just how great of a yoga teacher he is. And I, I think about, you know, he was really influential to me um, and my yoga practice and me um, learning about my body and just understanding what works, what doesn't work, and so the injuries that I've had, and neck injuries, and back pain, and I've had a gamut of stuff over the years. And, you know, I was thinking about Vetus, I was thinking about Calvin Corzine, and I was thinking about Tamal Dodge. I mean, I consider those three people probably my main yoga teachers who have probably taught me the most. And I I do look up to all of them. I think of them as as brothers in a way. I love them all, and I, I really respect all of them, and they've influenced the way that I teach. And I do think, you know, back to Vetus, I do think he is, whether whether you like him or not personally, he is one of the best yoga teachers in the country. I just think the way that he understands the body, helps people focus, the way he incorporates mobility, postures, breath, I just think he has a way of teaching that is on another level. And I just, I think there's a reason why he teaches over at Udaya, he teaches at Yoga Works, he teaches at SMPY, and these classes are still full because he's a really freaking good yoga teacher. And I think one last thing before before we get into the conversation, the thing that I realized also, I did feel some pressure having him on because I know he's polarizing. I had some people that were sort of like, hey, you should ask him this. Or other people were like, you should ask him this. And some people were really stoked. And other people were like, oh my God, I can't believe you're having him on your show. So I did feel a little like, gosh, where could this go? I knew it could go in many directions. And that's the other thing. I wanted to feel like a conversation. Of course, I have some notes and some things that I'm thinking about asking him, but I, I don't want it to feel forced. I want it to feel organic. Uh, but I did feel and hear those voices sort of overhead, like, you know, uh, the pressure of, of having him on and what I should ask him. And I, I realized that uh, he is polarizing. But I think the thing that I took away from the conversation, he's really smart. He's really intelligent. He's a great yoga teacher. And I think it's okay if people don't like you. I think that's the really important lesson. We get all caught up in likes, what people think about us. And I think he lives his life and he realizes that people are going to like him, people aren't going to like him, but that's okay. I think that's really important to come to terms with. So, oh my God, I totally forgot also. It was really cool because when he came over here, he um, he never goes east of Lincoln, much similar to Calvin. Most yoga teachers based in Santa Monica never go um, east of the 405. But So when he came over here, um, he had to meditate. So we actually spent 25, 30 minutes before the conversation, 
meditating in the living room with my cat. So it was, it was really, it was actually really cool. So I got to spend like a couple hours with him. Just, you know, bottom line, I can't wait to talk to him some more because there's just, you know, he's the type of guy where um, I could I could talk to him for hours. So it was really freaking awesome to have him here. If you like the show, I've got some cool stuff brewing potentially with the show. Just write a review, give it a five star, share the show with friends. That stuff really helps. There's some cool stuff that's potentially happening with the show. I can't talk about it now, but um, again... Thank you so much, Vitas Baskowskis. He can be found on Instagram at Vitas Yoga. And as always, thank you for supporting the show, listening to the show, telling people about it. And as always, um, thank you so much for being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. So hot in here already. Already, warm in here. already. I run so hot. I mean, I do too. Mm. And lean in just like one more inch. Like this. What's up? <laughs> I want you, you to be. Out? No, that, you're right. That's like I want you to be comfortable. Of course. There we go. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't look at each other when we do Put this. Put it a little lower so not to oh, sit up as good. tall. I read this really interesting study recently about the complete lack of correlation between posture and back pain. Yeah. Has zero to do with posture. What does it have to do with? Well, nobody knows, but it's definitely not posture. You've got a nice voice. Thank you. <laughs> you heard this voiceover I did, man. I, somebody paid me to do an Instagram ad recently, and I did a voiceover for it. Wait, you did and an it Instagram ad? it sounded like two voiceovers. Like, you know, if you had 15 minutes to relax, <laughs> what would you do? How would you? Whatever. Yeah. No, I, I just... Very right. voice. Have you ever, I, you ever seen that, uh, that movie, uh, In a World? No. It's a great film. Maybe like five years ago it came out. Okay. Lake Bell, I think, amongst other people. Oh, I like Lake Bell. It was a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. In a world. It's about voiceover people. Okay. I'll have to check. Oh, I have seen that movie. It was a good film. It's a great movie. It's a good film. Actually, there's a a great interview um, with Sam Jones, a great Sam Jones show. And he interviews her, and she's from New York, and she's really smart. I've always liked her. Yeah, so I do know what you're talking about. Good movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. Um, it's kind of weird to have you on the show. <laughs> Make sure, by the way, you... Um, is our show starting yet? That's begun? good. Oh, Are yeah, I, we actually... We, I recorded um, while we were meditating. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's great, man. It's the first time I've actually had a, a half-hour meditation before somebody comes on the show. Some good cat, cat meowing content. <laughs> yeah, was, that, was that weird? <laughs> yeah. It's a tough time for me to meditate in the afternoon. Why did you pretty sleepy? Why did you have to? It felt it, like I felt the energy when you came over here. Just you're like I, I have to meditate. Yeah, well, I've been I've been on it lately, man. I went on a meditation retreat. I've been, you know, I started meditating when I started practicing yoga, but it comes and goes. And then maybe like, let's say for the last for the last two three years, I haven't really been that on it. Yeah, like what happens when you're when you're not. I can just, I find myself being a little more reactive, a little less aware of my own patterns. Just like a little less. I mean, I'm, I'm painfully self-aware in some areas, but less self-aware of just how I can redirect, like less able to redirect, like say I'm going to anger or say I'm going to jealousy or wherever I go. That's not, that's not serving me. Yeah. When I'm meditating regularly, 
I am quicker to be able to notice that and like redirect like, oh, look where I'm going. I don't have to go there right now. So for me, I went on this meditation retreat and I've been on these retreats before as a Vipassana course. I went on one in May and hadn't been on one in years. It'd been like seven years since I went and sat a meditation course. And it was really, it, was, it hit me just in a way that none of the courses I had sat before hit me. Yeah. Just like the, the place I'm at in my life, you know, I'm turning 40 this year and I'm like, I'm like thinking about, oh, like, where am I at? How have I grown lately? Like, what am I up to? And, and it really just sitting in that, sitting that course, you know, and the teacher said a few things that I hadn't really heard before. And, um, it put me to work and I was really focused and meditating so much on that course. And I, I came back and I was resolved. Usually I'll come back and like, oh, okay, I'll meditate for 20 minutes a day. Yeah. This time I was like, I'm going to sit for 45 minutes to an hour every day. I'm going to try and I'm going to try to get it done in one sit. Yeah. Because for me, I find the longer sits to be really powerful. And yeah, some days I'll, I'll, I'll blend it into two if I don't have time. But for the most part, I've been doing 45 minutes to an hour every day. Yeah. And so like today I had a big ocean swim this morning. I was right. working all day. I have all this stuff happening in my life. It's yeah. all great stuff, all exciting, but I can just tell like, you know, my mind is running wild. So I was like, all right, if I want to sit down and have a conversation with this guy, like what a great way to like meditate together because I also usually sit alone. So it's mm. nice to sit with other people. No, it was really, it's it a was, real treat. It was really cool. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I felt like it slowed my heartbeat down because I'm actually nervous to talk to you. And I don't really feel that often. I don't feel that too often um, because you've been a big part of my life. Thanks, man. No, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I haven't seen you for a few years. And I think, yeah, it's, well, maybe I've seen you like on the street or something. Um, <laughs> that sounds weird. Like he's just hanging out on the street or something. I do hang no, out on the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, I went to your class on Monday. And it was really powerful being there again. And it was reminding me of how much of a part of my, a part of my life you've been. And, uh, and you've been very influential. It was sort of, and then I went to SMPY, which is sort of like one of the big power yoga studios in the country. And I taught one of my best classes I felt like last night. And I sort of incorporated some of the things that you, um, incorporate in your class. And the question for me, for you is, is that I was thinking, you know, when I finished my class, I could tell people look up to me mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm a doctor or like, I mean, <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I mean, obviously you, and, and you're much more quote unquote successful yeah. and more experienced of a yoga teacher than I am. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that in any sort of comparison factor. It's just, that's just a reality. But you have to feel that when you teach that people um, clearly look up to you and think that you are a healer in some sort of sense for them. Yeah. Um, I think when I was newer to teaching, I I realized that teacher-student sort of like power dynamics or like a little bit of a pedestal they may put you on or they think that just because you taught a great class means that you must be some sort of like spiritual being or like evolved in a way. And I was really fortunate to have a few people in my life that made it real clear to me that like, that's the practice. Those are the endorphins. Like that's them Mm. feeling good. It has pretty much zero to do with you. So don't let it get to your head because you know, this, you are not 
better or more you know, evolved or more enlightened than anybody else just because you can tell somebody to turn their back foot in a little bit in Warrior Two. You know, like yeah, I can sequence together a good class. I can put together some good music. My voice is like decent. It's not annoying, and but through that, I can facilitate their work on their own. Yeah, like they're we, we got to be realistic. Like they're doing the work. They're showing up. They're breathing. They're moving. We're just like kind of standing and walking around and holding space for that. And now, granted, I have a lot of experience doing that, so I'm really good at that part. Yeah, but that's all we're doing, you know. And I love when people come to me after class with an injury question or something like really um, involved about like their their you know mental knots or you know they want me to be their therapist or yeah like you said their doctor my favorite thing is just you know i have no idea you should probably you know talk to a professional about this or i just like redirect it back to them like they're like hey i have this shoulder injury what should i do and i'm like well you know we don't really have an mri here to look at anything so in absence of like an expert opinion or some real evidence like i would just encourage you to like explore this on your own and do some research and like maybe if you need to see a doctor go get help because i'm not one yeah and i and I make sure I tell all my teacher trainees that, you know, it's like we are yoga teachers, like simple and straightforward. We are like that, that doesn't give us permission to be anything grander than that. But it feels like the world we live in has elevated yoga teachers as being sort of this holier than thou thing. Yeah, and look on. what that did. And look what and look at some of these old school yoga teachers that are getting, you know, that are, are being sort of called out for how they behaved back in the day. Yeah, because like that gives people this excuse to like like not be their best. And I will admit, like those first few years when I realized I had a bit of power and a bit of influence, like absolutely I wasn't my best. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I've made plenty of mistakes as a yoga teacher. You know, under the guise of like, well, I can tell they look up to me, and that that gives me a little bit of freedom to maybe do things that aren't in my like greatest integrity. And of you know, and those were all learning processes. And I'm just lucky I didn't do anything like too fucked up, so yeah. that I can still have a great career. And I've learned from it, and I've grown from it, and I've made amends where I need to. And now I can share with my my teacher trainees and the people I mentor, like, hey, here's where I fucked up. You know, I hope you don't make these same mistakes, but you might, and you know, you'll learn from it. Well, it's funny. Um there was there was a humility to you on Monday that was really awesome. It's funny when like and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but sometimes when you taught, when I took your class, I almost don't feel like you knew how powerful your energy could be because like you could walk in and I could tell like, oh, Vetus is having a bad day. Or I could be like, oh, Vetus is clearly having a good day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, do you know what I'm talking, were you even aware that you sort of could, like you sort of downplayed the, the, um, the, not the value, but the role that a yoga teacher can play on the energy of a room in the sense that, you know, I'm kind of creating the space, but it's like you're, you're doing your thing. But you do have a pretty... Absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, you're right in that we can't compartmentalize as yoga teachers or even as a math professor in my other job. Like, I can't walk into class having a shit day (laughs) and then just come and expect to be like, hey, I'm super patient and graceful with all of you right now. Because that's just not how we deal with things as human beings. Like, it's going to... It's going to affect us. And, um, and you're right. Like I've, I've definitely, you know, like had my days where like I've come in and been impatient or a little bit more stern or more of a dick than other days. Like my style is already pretty straightforward and strong, Yeah, you know, so you add a little bit more, you know, a little 
aggressiveness onto that or just edginess. I wouldn't say aggressiveness, but edginess. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's come off bad. And I know I've turned a lot of people off with that energy over the years. But, I, you know, I, I've tried to be more conscious and aware of that also in the last few years. Parenthood has really changed me a lot more anyways. Yeah. It softened me a lot, you know, being being a single dad, being, you know, somebody who I want my son to to look up to and do as I do, not necessarily as I say. Yeah. And trying to set an example and lead by example, but also... The, amount of unconditional love that he's given to me and how patient he is with me and to see that a five-year-old can give that to me i should definitely be able to give that to my students i listened to sean lennon talk uh, a couple days ago on mark maron's podcast and obviously sean is john's son and I'm, I don't know why I'm suddenly getting a little emotional right now, but I was so moved by the podcast that he had with him. And I don't, like, I want to add a little levity here. Like, obviously, I don't want this to go to your head because you're not John, you're not John Lennon, okay? <laughs> Clearly, John Lennon has affected more people than Venus has. But, you know, you, you've lived in Santa Monica your whole life. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, Sean was telling this story, like, people would come up to him and be like, Oh my God, you have any idea like how powerful your father has been and how influential your father has been to me? Like, and he seriously is like, dude, of course I do. He was my fucking dad. And he, he like, he passed away when I was five hmm. and it was like, and he said it in a way that was respectful, but it's like, he's been dealing with that his whole life and he's finally coming to terms with it. Like the power that his dad had and people look at him and they don't look at him they're looking at John before they even look at him. And I don't know why I thought of you in sort of a weird sort of way and your son and like how you're raising him. And like you've been in Santa Monica your whole life. So clearly people are going to obviously look at Asa and think of you. So how do you manage that? And how do you know when to, to like sort of be the dad, but then also let Asa sort of like find his way. And I know there's probably no easy answer for that, but I did think of that when I was listening to the conversation. Um, I mean, yeah, the parallels between me and John Lennon are very few. And they're a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> yeah, thank you. But, but I, you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm such a localized persona west of Lincoln. Yeah, but I think you here know, in Santa Monica, you it, do have a, a strong presence. And it's also just because I have a unique name. I think if my name was Mike, the yoga teacher, I'd be like, yeah, what Mike? We haven't yeah. heard of that. But when you hear Vetus, like, oh yeah, I've heard that name before. And then you're, you know, probably the, the strongest opinions that you've heard of me come to the surface because I can be a bit polarizing. There's people that I've pushed away. There's people that don't like me and there's people that love me. Um, but you rarely hear the, the general like, oh yeah, he was cool. didn't like him or love him, whatever. You usually hear the strong opinion. So, with that, having a rememberable name and, you know, people that in a community that love to opine on the yoga teachers, I'm right. sure like he's going to run around and think, oh, yeah, like my dad, this person loves my dad or this person never liked my dad or these pe- my dad changed these people's lives. And I don't, you know, who's who knows what's going to happen in 15 years with me and my career, if I'll even, you know, be teaching group yoga classes in 15 years um, when he's at the age to be able to kind of recognize that more. But as, as it comes to like navigating the world with what people think of his dad, I would hope that he begins to navigate that world by the example that I set 
which has been a struggle for me to come to grips with because like I said, Santa Monica is a very opinionated yoga world. Yeah. And, and it's been tough because as, as many people that love me and as packed as my classes are, there's a line of people around the block that don't like me or have a negative thing to say about me. And I'm sensitive. And it's, it's hard to hear that sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, so-and-so said something negative or so-and-so doesn't like you. And it's, I think when I was a newer teacher, that was really hard. And I've always wanted to be seen in a positive light by as many people as possible. And, you know, if I'm in a room of 100 people and 99 love me, I'm focused on that one, you know, like, why, but why doesn't that person? And I, and again, I've been, been fortunate to be around other teachers, like my mentor Vinny and like just people around me that have dealt with this and have, you know, navigated through it with the grace to, to understand that it, you know, it doesn't really matter. I remember Brian Kest was just like, oh yeah, you don't like me? Take a number, get in line. Hmm. Lines are on the block. Like, it's fine. He didn't give a fuck if people liked him or not. And I don't want to be that brash about it, like that I don't give a fuck. Because, I mean, obviously I do care. Of course you do. But, I, we all but do. I've learned over the last few years to, to just kind of let it brush off my back a little bit more. It's like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to be for everybody. And I would much rather express myself in the way that's true to me, which is, you know, I don't sugarcoat things. I don't cut corners. I believe what I believe in. And it's not for everybody. You know, there's a yeah. woman in class this morning that was doing this crazy breathing, like sighing, ah, all the tears. And, it, you know, I, I came up to her and I, you know, I asked her, I try not to assume that maybe she's just like doing some weird stuff. I'm like, hey, do you have a respiratory issue? Are you struggling yeah. breathing through your nose? And she said, no, I just, this is what comes up for me naturally, this type of breath. And I, I was like, well, try to breathe through your nose. And at the end of the class, she came to me and said, why can't I sigh? Why can't I do that? And I explained to her about the steadiness of the breath and what it does for our nervous system. And this is what we work on in my class. And at the end, she was like, okay. And I was like, yeah, and great. And, and you know, if you don't like it, this doesn't have to be the class for you. And I tried to say it with as much you know, kindness as possible, but like, I don't need everybody. I'd rather have 20 people in my class that are down with what I'm teaching mm -hmm. than 50 people in my class that are there just like wanting to have a good time and doing whatever they want because I'm not really into that as much. Yeah. So, you know what? It's, uh, I, I hope that Asa gets a little bit of that independence and that no matter what people think of him or his dad or, you know, yeah, the, the current administration, whatever people think that he can make his own choices and not be swayed as much. Is that well, it's funny. I mean, I guess sometimes I got the sense that you and I can understand because it's like where where you came from and some of the things I know about you, you can feel very controlling. So I'm sure it's ch challenging as a dad to sort of just let him do his thing and he's going to hurt himself or he's going to like have a lesson to learn. And I'm sure it's got to be hard to sort of like let go and just let him kind of find out on his own. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't read a lot of parenting books before I began this journey, but there is one book that I, I'll admit I didn't read it entirely. But the theory <laughs> behind it was that, you know, if you want to learn how to be a good parent, you got to deal with your own shit first. You know, it's your issues that are going to arise from your parents and your childhood when it's dealing with your child. Yeah. And, and I, and I do have issues around control and around boundaries. And, and I, and I had to look at that a little bit and I continue to look at that and I continue to look at where does this come from for me? Like, why am I putting this in front of him? Why am I forcing him to do these things? Or why am I parenting in this way? And is there a way I can check myself as opposed to trying to, you know, necessarily only think about it in the context of parenting, 
but instead of like more self-growth. Like how can Vetus improve? Like what can I look like? What can I look at in my past and maybe heal a little bit so that my relationship with my son won't suffer from that, that trauma still. Yeah. But dude, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a learning process every day. And I will say he probably teaches me more than I teach him. Yeah. That's the best thing about parenting. People don't realize it's like, Oh, you're going to have to parent somebody. Like I'm going to get to learn from this, you know, perfectly innocent human being, you know? Yeah. To re to re see the world through a new pair of glasses, it's been magical. I do like how open you are, and I feel like you know we've talked about Instagram and social media before, but I guess I'm bringing it up just because it sort of relates to this whole control thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you know what my show's about, and what I talk about, and what I'm interested in, and I do think there is this sort of fascination with Instagram because people get to sort of control what they think they want people to think of them. Of course. And what's so funny though, is that like, I actually do think you're really sensitive and I've always felt that about you. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt like, I don't want to say insecure in a bad way. We are all insecure. And I feel like you do want people to like connect with you and like you, mm-hmm. but like your Instagram persona or sort of like when you open, come into a class, a lot of times it you give off the vibe that like you have everything sort of figured out or a lot figured out. And, and like you really are this strong, powerful sort of thing or being, but I've always felt like you were, a pretty sensitive guy. Well, it's funny you say that it, I put off the vibe that I've got things figured out. I would take you back to your comment recently about the, you know, teacher dynamics where maybe your students see that you might have it all figured out. Yeah. You know, in no way have I ever tried to come into the yoga room and claimed any sort of like godliness or holiness or that I have everything figured out. Yeah. But in a sense, leading a class and, and, you know, we can call it the healing arts, you know, there's an element of spirituality to what I teach. You know, if, if you're leading a class in these modalities, people are going to make assumptions and if they're going to make those assumptions. That's fine. When it comes to Instagram, you're right. I think people really want to control how people see them and they want to control the highlight reel of their life. But if we're being honest, no, but none of us can control what people think of us. So as much as that illusion is there, great. Like I am under no illusion that no matter how many pictures I post of me having it together, that people think I have it together. I also just don't feel like posting pictures to show that I don't have it together because I'm not (laughs) interested in talking about that. I want to talk about the lessons I've learned, the insights I've gained and show you my lifestyle. And I know a lot of people post things like, well, let me show you a picture of being where I look fat or post a picture of me crying. Great. You can talk about that stuff too and talk about your struggles. I've talked about my struggles a bit, but for me, Instagram is still, it's a bit of a highlight reel. It's a marketing tool. I don't take it too seriously. I know that people are going to think of me, whatever they're going to think of me, no matter the pictures that I post or not. So, you know, I I think that when people start taking it too seriously, like, whoa, does this person really think we're going to think that of them? Like, I I just think it's a bit, a bit much when we take it too seriously because To be honest, people just want to post shit that makes them look good and be happy for a moment with a little bit of validation. It's a mix of networking, marketing, connection. And of course, there's insecurity. Yeah, I have insecurities too. Absolutely, I'm insecure. You know, just like you said, most people are. And we can all kind of get a sense of people on there that are maybe a little bit more insecure than others. 
You know, that and that and that's often well, apparent. Is it fair to think that the ones that are posting more are more insecure? No, not at all. You don't, I think, don't think so? I don't think that's fair at all. Because no. I think they're, they're, the ones that are are looking for more validation because they are insecure and because Instagram is sort of like this perfect sort of platform to get the validation that you want. Like, I was just thinking, of course, I looked at Allo Yoga and they have 2 million followers. Mm-hmm. And like, you look at one photo and they'll have 16,000 likes. But you have no idea how the other 1.9 million other people think about that photo. So it's this perfect sort of thing where people get exactly what they need, which is affirmation that whatever they're doing must be good because everybody is liking it. There's no other sort of emotional response that one could feed from Instagram other than what you're doing is liked. Which is why we shouldn't read too much into it because yeah. the metrics are too binary. Well, you're, I mean, an, you're, but you are aware enough and I think I'm aware enough to know that, but the problem is, and I think it's because we're a little older, but I don't, most people aren't, most people are getting the, their valuation and their um, response and their sort of feelings about life through that platform. And I think that is a reality that is slowly, slowly happening more and more every day. And that's their choice. And you know what? If, if somebody has a lot of followers or they post a lot, they're getting a lot of likes. I think it's on the, the rest of us to realize that that only means that they have a lot of followers. They post a lot and they're getting a lot of likes. That doesn't mean anything else about them as a person or their ability. I mean, you just told me something when I walked in. You said you had your most crowded class ever last night, right? And yeah. like, does that mean that it was your best class or that you're the better teacher than you've ever been. Like if somebody has a more crowded class, are they a better teacher than another teacher? I've taken crowded classes from teachers that were not the best at all. And I've taken empty classes from brilliant teachers. I think we all understand that just because a lot of people like something or it's crowded or there's people there, it doesn't mean that it's great. You know? I just, so you I know, think that it, it, I, I agree. Look, I agree with you because I'm, I'm an adult but I, I don't like I know through friends that have kids and I know through friends that are under the age of 25 that they do value lives based on followers, likes. It is a reality that's happening. And it goes to yoga, too. Hey, the person who can hold one hand and handstand on top of a rock, is that person more enlightened or better than the person that can't hold handstand? I've spoken to other teachers that have felt like they are worse teachers because they can't hold handstand in the middle of the room. So this world that you don't think... Like, it's a real thing that's going on. I see that. But your anecdotal evidence of talking to friends of friends doesn't actually mean that that's the, the majority of the sample size. If you're going to actually get metadata and make a large sample size with a random sample, you have to remember, I'm a statistics professor yeah. also. So you can't just throw stories at me and mean like that that's true, too. Well, there are real statistics, though, that girls under the age of 20 are having more eating disorders and more insecurity and more suicide than ever before, which is why 13 Reasons Why that suicide show had to delete scenes because people are killing themselves because of that show. And it's true that there's more bullying now in high school boys and college boys than there has ever been before. And it's could maybe this was just sort of the natural progression of our lives, but it, it clearly has to do it can be argued, obviously, with the fact that people are spending more time 
in the artificial world, staring at their phones, than actually having like a real face-to-face conversation. You like commented on one of my Instagram posts like three weeks ago, and I could have commented back, but thank God I had your phone number. And we ended up having like a really good conversation because we were actually able to like listen to each other, which people aren't doing anymore. I think you also said something funny, like we're adults and we're commenting on the next generation, which Mm. every set of adults has always said that the next generation is fucked. Young kids today, they're all worse off. It's happened every generation. And just because there's correlation between social media or these new things doesn't mean causation whatsoever. Sex has always sold. Sex is, it's always been a part of marketing. Girls are all, like, women taking their clothes off to sell stuff has, you know, look at TV shows and marketing from history for forever, it's happened. You could also argue that we're becoming more aware as a populace. Look at the changes that are happening right now. Look at how the men are getting called out for how they've treated women. Look at how racism, institutionalized racism is being called out. Like, there are things coming to the surface in our world today that haven't been looked at in forever. So, yes, there's a lot of things happening that are bad with people struggling with their own psyches but at the same time there's a lot of things that are happening where we are growing in our consciousness as a society never before have I even questioned the way that I fundamentally treat others how I fundamentally treat the opposite sex I remember when mansplaining that term came out and I was like Oh my God, really? You're going to come out with this just because I'm a man and I'm explaining and I'm mansplaining and then I read a great article about it and I was like, wow I could really work on how I explain things like I, that's I am guilty, 100%. And like as bitter as I was as it came out, it made me sort of rethink how I interact, especially how I try to explain things sometimes to the opposite sex and step in because of like these masculine roles that I want to fix and change. Like, yeah, yeah. Instagram, of course, it can be toxic. Just like marketing, capitalism is based on this idea that you are not enough until you get this thing. And before Instagram, it was billboards or TV commercials, but it was all the same ruse. Until you get this product or unless you look like this person or unless you weigh, you know, have this much body fat, you're not going to be happy. And that continues. Unfortunately, with Instagram, it's just blended in a little bit more. And I'm not going to disagree with you that that can be confusing because it's not only a marketing platform. Whereas a commercial, it was just marketing. Now you have somebody that's a celebrity or maybe a friend of a friend that's, you know, doing a Instagram ad, but it's cloaked under sponsorship. And maybe it's not an ad and maybe they really want to sell me this. So I think there are nuances that can make it confusing and make, and make it difficult for people to see the truth behind it. And, and I think that's just not going to be so much for the poster to worry as much about as it is going to be for the user to realize that, hey, this doesn't make that much sense for me to like base my insides on this person's outsides. And yes, somebody that can do a one-handed handstand, good for them, dude. Like that's kudos for you posted. I've seen some amazing handstand pictures. I know, just like you do, that that doesn't make them a great yoga teacher. That just means like they can do some cool stuff with their body and like celebrate it. Celebrate that you can do it. You know, when I see that stuff, they want the validation. I'm happy to give it to them, man. Like pat on the back. I like your photo. Great job, dude. I do agree with you. I I just think... um Human beings need face-to-face. Mm-hmm. We need, like, physical contact, hugs and handshakes, mm-hmm. and we need to hear the sound of a voice. And because these phones and these platforms are so addictive, those sort of human elements, are they are dissipating at a rapid, 
race at a rapid pace. I mean, that is a reality. And I mean, you say things like, well, it's up to the person. And, and I mean, I get it, but sometimes I don't know if we are in control because these platforms are so emotional and so manipulative and people look like they're having the times of their lives. And, you know, you say, well, like, you know, oh, good for them. They can hold handstand on top of a rock. But I know they're like, I taught in a room where I, I, I could, you know, I could feel insecurity like emanating from other people because three people in the front of the room could hold handstand and somebody else couldn't. I mean, I, I'm really, really aware of all that stuff. And I know that even though like, you know, I won't call out names, but if somebody's holding a handstand on a rock, good for them. But there are people like if this person has 500,000 followers, 500,000 followers aren't thinking like you're thinking that that photo is manipulating and changing the way people think about yoga. And it's not just, I mean, we're talking about yoga because you're a yoga teacher, but Mm -hmm. I think the visual is so much more powerful than written text. I I just, I, I don't know. I think it's just a powerful platform that I think is having a far greater effect. Of course, we'll be living in image-driven culture. So no matter what caption you write, people are going to see the image and that's going to leave a more lasting imprint than whatever words you choose to put underneath. And you also talked about like, well, it's been like this for years. I mean, I get it that it's been like, you know, Coca-Cola, Nike, um, you know, National Enquirer, Us Magazine. I mean, I, I get it. But now human beings that aren't corporations or aren't a magazine, we are all like functioning the same way as these corporations used to do or used to be. I mean, not everybody is using Instagram for marketing. A lot of people use Instagram to connect and to network. Um, I would argue that, you know, you do talk about people needing human touch okay, and, yeah, to, let's be, talk and to be connected to each other. But like yet you don't even harp on something like gaming. Which the next generation look at Fortnite like you haven't I've never heard mm. you once talk about the negativities of that. That's where the teenage boys are struggling. They're all sitting on Fortnite talking on a headset to each other, and they're never connecting with one another. You're they right. spend way yeah. more hours on that than on Instagram. Well, I think there's like I mean you're completely right, but that's the thing. Before Instagram and social media, it was now we have like two. You're completely right. I guess because I'm not a gamer at all, and my friends aren't gamers, mm. so I don't really even think about it. But you're completely right. I mean, there's a multi-billion dollar industry where people literally are spending 10 hours a day staring at fucking Pokemon or like Fortnite. And it's like, talk about somebody that doesn't know how to communicate. And I mean, that's where, and that's where technology is leading our culture. And there are going to be people that are going to choose to be immersed in screens all day. And I, for one, believe that their existence will not be as rich as others. Hmm. Unfortunately... Um, there's no way to force them out of it. Everybody, you know, that's the cool thing about free will. We're all going to get to make our choice. I, you know, I, I hope that I'm sure as you do as well, that these things will be taught, you know, parenting will be at a place where everybody can have conscious choices to tell their kids. Yes, if sure. If you want to be a professional gamer, fine, but here's the richness on life. You're going to miss out on. Here's the part of nature and human connection and relationships that you're not going to be able to get when you put your face into a screen for 10 hours a day. Yeah. It's cool to be on Instagram all the time, but it's also cool to like delete it off your phone for a week and maybe call people or take a walk around your neighborhood and connect with your neighbors. And that stuff's great too, but everybody's going to get to make a choice. Um, unfortunately, I think you're right in that Instagram and gaming and screens. They're the easy choice. I think that's what technology yeah. is. That's why technology sells because it's easy and it's comfortable. And you don't have to leave your couch. I think, 
You know, I talk about it in class sometimes. The human body is inherently lazy when I talk about alignment and compensating and how people are collapsing into the places that are already bendy or using muscles that are already strong. It's we're all inherently lazy to a sense, you know. And if there's a piece of technology that allows me to connect with, you know, I'm air quoting, I know you can't see it, but connect with others on this phone, yeah, it's kind of connecting so I can see where it's good, but we know it's not really connecting and we know that our lives are are, are emptier for it. There's so much more connection when you're around somebody, talking to them, hearing personal stories as opposed to emojis and like <laughs> thumbs up. And, you know, I know you want to go swimming in the pool and not at the pool. You want to go swimming at the ocean. And I said to something, I said to you, like, you know, I'm actually really scared to do that because um, I forgot why I said, oh, yeah, I've like gotten really sick in the pollution. And you said something to me at, at yoga on Monday, like, you know, I am too, but it just like fucking feels great. And I think sometimes if we can all admit that we have our anxieties or we have our fears as opposed to everybody's like trying to like be the first or the best or look the best. I mean, that's like the world that it seems like everybody's on a fast track and nobody wants to admit that, fuck, I'm, I'm scared to go swim in the ocean or, you know, my family's like kind of got some fucked up shit. I, I just feel like, and I realize that kind of stuff takes time to sort of earn some trust and share that stuff. But if we all just sort of admitted, like, I'm fucking scared to do that, I think people would just sort of, like, get off their little high horse and give each other, like, a sort of supportive pat on the back and say, like, yeah, let's do this. I love that, and I, and I agree. But I think that only comes in connecting with people in individually or one-on-one, and it's, it's tough also in a big group class setting, you know? And you've talked about how sometimes I'll come into a big class with, like, my walls up a bit. Yeah. And I do. You know, sometimes when the room is packed and there's 60, 70 people there, it's hard to be open and available and vulnerable with everyone and like share a part of me because I know that a lot of those people want to connect and like, hey, and let's talk and tell me about you. And and I know that there's teachers that have done it well. I remember um, like Mia Togo. She was a great teacher in LA. She's in England now. And she would always invite like all of her students to her house and dinner parties. And I would go to her house for a party and be everybody from yoga works. I'm like, wow, you just embrace your entire student body. She's like, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It's my community. And I've always taken almost kind of the opposite road where like, hey, you know what? Like in the studio, I'm cool. But like, I have my friends here I grew up with. I have my community. I don't necessarily... You're not all my friends just because you take my class. And I've been trying to work on that more lately. I've been trying to change that and like be more friendly with my students and create more community around my classes because I think that's what's really special about the yoga world is there's a lot of like-minded people there. You know, and as we can see, like we live in a country that is divided and not everybody is like-minded. So it's nice to be around people that are like-minded for me that like enjoy eating healthy and going swimming in the ocean and enjoying exercise and and I want to make more friends like that. So I've been trying to put myself out there more and be open. And the only way to do that is IRL, bro. In yeah. real life. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like like you can get really inside your head. Oh, yeah. It's not the best place either. Yeah. And I, I mean, I relate. I'm the same fucking way. Like, I, I, I hear you. Um, that's, the ma- that's the mathematician inside of me. You know, that's when I, I started practicing yoga. Um, when I was in... When I was in college, maybe before I went back to school, but I only really started practicing yoga when I was in graduate school, just because graduate school for math was just 
it was my head in its entirety, yeah. thinking about problems for hours or days at a time, um, you know, butting my head against the wall, trying to solve certain theorems or prove things in a different way. And I needed to get out of my head. And yoga was the only solution that I had found to that. So yeah. for me, yeah, uh, being in my head is something that I struggle with. I default to and I can be too calculative and rational. And I've, I've really been trying, especially this past year, to see how my logic and, and rationale don't serve me in a lot of ways. And as great as they have been, as cool as it is to be able to, you know, think seven moves ahead in chess or finish the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle, that's not really how I'm going to excel at like, creating community and relationships because most people don't think like that. Well, and that's, I mean, I want to move on from social media and stuff, but I do think because we spend so much time on devices and, and, and technology and Instagram, social media, it is sort of like boxing the human brain into like this neat little compartmentalized object and we're so complex mm -hmm. and we can't explain everything. I mean, I mean, every, and I even think it goes to yoga teachers. We, we all want yoga teachers to sort of be a certain way, or we expect them to be a certain way. And I mean, I guess I t you touched on it before, but do you feel the pressure that you, and I've asked this before of yoga teachers, do you feel the pressure that you have to live a certain way? Or have you sort of like moved on from that and, and people are either going to like you or they're not going to like you. And, and that's that. Um, a certain way, I mean, I felt a lot of pressures as a yoga teacher. I wrote, I wrote a story in my friend's book, Yoga and Body Image. Even just the body image of being a male yoga teacher. It's, you know, people want a yoga teacher. You know, yoga is considered fitness. And if you're a fitness instructor, you have to have you know, a certain body type. And you have to have a six-pack. And you have to have this and that. And I've always prided myself on having so much more than that. So, you know, being a meditator, having a lot of teacher trainings under my belt, having been a senior teacher trainer now at Yoga Works for a while, like, I feel like I have a lot more philosophical insight than just my body. Yet, when we break it down to a simple platform of binary, yeah. right? I've posted pictures with captions that I thought were brilliant. Like I, I spent a week writing this out and it was so cool. Got a couple likes. Yeah. Yet then I post a picture of me doing something with my shirt off. Thousands of likes. Wow. And I can see how that would easily train a person to think, oh, that's what they value. Yeah. That's what they value. But it is just a picture and it is just an image. And the truth about it is, is when you come to my class, you're not going to see me with my shirt off anyways. So I'm going to teach you yoga and you're going to get to listen to what I have to say. So I try to make sure I remember that this moment in time, this snapshot of a highlight of something I'm doing doesn't define me because there are a lot of pressures to be fit, but not only fit to like, I think that's probably lesser now, but I think my students expect me to live a certain way that embody the principles of yoga. We can talk about the yamas and the niyamas, right? Like the, the moral codes, what honesty, you know, nonviolence, non-covetousness. There's a lot of different ways that we can live as yoga teachers, but I try to embody those basic moral principles. And I think my students expect me to do that. And I don't think that that is a bad expectation at all. Yeah. Especially if I'm going to teach some of that stuff in my class. If I'm going to teach focus, 
right? Because that's a big thing for me in my yoga classes. If somebody's eyes are darting around the room or they keep getting up off their mat, I'm going to come hit them up and be like, hey, what's up? Can you just like stay present and stay focused? <laughs> and some people get offended when I ask them to do that. Yeah. And I say, well, hey, this is what I'm teaching. So for me, if I'm teaching focus, if I'm teaching mindfulness and I'm going about my life in a completely distracted, constantly multitasking, mindless way, I think that's just inauthentic. So for me, it's about what is it that I'm teaching in my class? What is it that I'm teaching in my online platforms? What is it that I'm talking about on social? And if I'm embodying that, then that's, I'm happy. But if I'm, you know, if I'm only gonna, if I'm only gonna talk about that stuff and not walk it in my life, I'm really big on just like not feeling like a hypocrite. And I have before. I've talked a lot about stuff before that I haven't put into my own life. And I think having been a yoga teacher for this long really makes me conscious as to like, all right, well, then maybe I shouldn't teach that stuff. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to talk about something that I'm not doing in my day, if I'm going to talk about veganism, I better be vegan. You know, I'm right. not, I don't want to fake that front or be inauthentic. And the cool thing about it now, and I think why you get frustrated on Instagram with yoga teachers, is a lot of yoga teachers aren't teaching anything beyond the physical. Yeah. But you know what? That frees them up to not have any expectations on how they should behave. If they're just teaching stretching, then great. I hope they're flexible. If they're just teaching handstands, then great. They don't have to walk any sort of other walk than be able to do a handstand. Now, if you're out here teaching self-love and, and agape love and brotherly love, and you're out there being an asshole to everybody, yeah. now that's a big deal because that's inauthentic. That's hypocrisy in its finest. I have to ask. I wasn't going to ask, but I, I had a hard time when you decided to be on the reality show. Oh, <laughs> I had a hard time too. So I, I don't mean to like put you on the spot. I, I, but I think you brought up, you know, hypocrisy and, you know, the image of a yoga teacher. What, like what, like you, you were on Survivor a couple times and then you mm -hmm. decided to be on the yoga reality show. And, and I was just sort of like, yeah, what's that all about? I mean, what, what was your thinking or, or do you regret it at all? Or, I mean, why, why the sort of interest in doing that? Kind so, of so the show was pitched to us as a realistic look into how people make a living teaching yoga in LA okay, and it was yoga girls. So I wasn't going to be a main character, but it was sort of pitting the old school yogis against the new school yogis, right? The yoga teachers like Jesse shine or Elise who had been around for a while and had been, you know, grinding it out through group classes and like sort of holding a little bit more. The space of yoga is more than just fitness. And then against yeah. the, the new yogis, the new yoga girls, Where it's about who looking influencers hot. and on Instagram yeah. and, Hey guys, and, ups, and, and be upside and, down as much as you can. And they had, and they're, and they're really bubbly and cheery. And, and I was like, wow, that seems like a really great premise because this is happening in totally. the world. And, and they told me that I would be a great go between because I had relationships with some of the people on the show and that I could talk about how I feel about yoga. And I'd, I'd be a bit in the middle because I do hold for me the ideals of yoga as far as the philosophy. And, you know, the lifestyle, but I also at the same time understand the value of marketing and Instagram. Totally. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to sort of bridge that gap. And, you know, they said it wasn't going to be sensational and they said they weren't going to focus on any sort of love triangle stuff because my girlfriend at the time was in the show and my son's mother was in the show. And of course I just bought that. I bought that pitch. Um, yeah. and I, I shouldn't have because it was sensationalized and it, it didn't turn out great, um, but it was my goal to 
to give a true, honest expression of what yoga is like in LA these days, I think it'd been cool for people to see had they really done it like that. Yeah. You know, but they didn't. You know, I think influencers are, it's a real thing. I mean, I even read an article in the New York Times yesterday where there was an influencer technology convention, I think, in like San Diego or something just in the last week. But then I think to myself, and this is my only issue, not only issue, but to me, yoga is not Instagram. Like, you know, yoga is about being clear headed. I mean, look, it can be defined in so many ways and we don't have to argue the definition of yoga. But, you know, I think when I teach, I want people to think for themselves I don't want people to be influenced. And we as humans are so easily manipulated. And I think to myself, you know, Netflix has a person that is like, you know, maybe we should fucking take that scene out of 13 Reasons Why because, you know, a lot of people are killing themselves and it's probably a good idea that we should do that. You know, I feel like people are thinking about their bottom line, money, their image, and I don't, and they don't think that what they're posting has an influence. And so, who is an influencer now? Like, is an influencer like somebody who looks hot, who posts 30, 40, 50 times a day, is getting money on the side from some juice company because they want this hot person to represent their juice or their clothing or their like spritzer or something? And I feel like they're all feeding into this system that Instagram and Facebook wants, which is the people that speak the loudest, that look the hottest are going to get all the attention. And the ones who are like, not as confident, not as quote unquote sexy, don't feel as good about their bodies are going to be the ones that aren't heard. And this process is being perpetuated by now us, thanks to just human behavior. I see the skinny pretty girl thing is something that's so deeply embedded to marketing that it's mm-hmm. going to take a lot of struggle to get out and I, I try not to take that struggle too personally but it's funny as a yoga teacher the struggle that I've taken personally is seeing them promote hypermobility huh. yeah. because I see how dangerous that has been in the years of yoga and how many senior practitioners have had hip surgeries and back surgeries because of their hypermobility and all they post on their account is teachers that dangerously move their bodies in ways that most people should never, never be moving their bodies. Yeah. Yet they glorify these yeah. ranges of motion that for the most part aren't really healthy, normal ranges of motion. So for me, I've, that's come up for me. Um, but at the same time, the only way to change how a company markets is to stop buying their product or stop supporting them. Hmm. You know, they have 2 million people, Eddie, that enjoy following them. And we're never good. So unless two, those people start changing their minds, I mean, I don't think Aloe has any need. Their bottom line is great. They're making a ton of money. They're a big player in a, in a really large apparel industry. And they haven't anybody had anybody call them out. I think somebody called them out for their lack of diversity recently. And I'm yeah. happy that they took that cue because I think yoga is, well, I don't think, but yoga is extremely non-diverse. It is very white. Yeah. And I would love to see more diversity in yoga, which is tough for me as a white male to say, like, you know, how can I bring more diversity into yoga when I have this privilege of being able to make enough money and have the free time to be able to do yoga, where a lot of people with the socioeconomic, uh, you know, unfortunate 
levels that we have here in America, like, aren't afforded that. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, like, that's just kind of how it is. Yoga's for people that can afford it. People have the time to do it. And I would love to change that. You know, that's why I, I always try to, I hope that I can always teach a donation class. You know, I get to teach at the two most contrasting studios in the world. Yeah. The only publicly traded yoga company, Yoga Works. Their and stock's then, going way down, by the way. <laughs> not only is their stock going down, they're actually going back to private. They're going, uh, they're actually they going to are. be delisted. Okay. Because it went so bad. Um, but there's Yoga Works and then there's my donation studio, yeah. Power Yoga East. And I'm so fortunate that I can invite anybody there and say, no matter what you can afford, come in the room. And we've had homeless people come off totally. the street. Totally. I've into been there. there before. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, come on in. You know, here's a mat. Check it out. As long as, you know, they're able bodied and open to that. Like, I, I've had those experiences and those experiences are so rich for me to be able to share yoga with others. But yeah, you know, Instagram is just a platform. It's not the problem. And I, and I see, I, I do see how angry you get though sometimes yeah. because you come off a little bit in some of your posts when you talk about how people take their shirts off or people, you know, with so scantily clad. And I'm like, why not? Why do you get so, I'm curious for you. Yeah. Like, why do you get so worked up when people show up on that platform wearing not much? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't get worked up. I think I, I think I make people uncomfortable. The things that I say about Instagram, the posts, the quotes uh, where I'm making fun of it. I think people's priorities are completely out of whack, and I think it's worth talking about. And also, I, the ones that it just feels like there's some glory in taking off your clothes on Instagram. I don't. I don't care that people take their shirt off. I just think people are falling for it. And people think that we live in a world now, if you can take your shirt off and show it on Instagram or show your body off on Instagram, that person is better than the person that doesn't feel comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. Because the life that I live and the people that I'm around, they don't have six pack abs. And I think we have become a culture now that's so obsessed with visual and it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. But now Instagram has made it even more that people will think, Oh, that woman has great breasts or that woman like is showing her ass off. And there's some like glory around that. And to me, I know some of these people and their lives are pretty fucked up. They're really insecure. They've either been in bad relationships and they're using their body or the likes and the dopamine to then get the love, quote unquote, or attention that they're looking for. And people then are looking at that as though they really think highly of themselves, but they actually don't. They don't. Yeah. And it's tough because I, I will say there probably are people that do love their bodies and want to celebrate their bodies by showing them. And I, and I bet, you know, just like you said, that there probably are just as many that hate themselves or feel really low about themselves yeah. that just want other people to tell them that they look good. Um, and that sucks because I've dealt with that too, with my body image and how I feel about my body and, Oh, I look fat or I don't look good or I don't have a six pack like this guy or I don't, I'm not as broad as this guy or this guy has a way bigger dick than me or like whatever yeah. the things we go through well, as men, that's, like that's comparing a little, ourselves that's a little to other people. <laughs> no, but um, well, but there are but there are some great Bopo accounts, man, that I would recommend, dude. If bo there's body positivity well, wait, on Instagram, here's is really the good. But here's the thing. Last point, and then I, um, I'm not naive. I, of course, I I know that um, sex sells, and we are a visual world. 
but we have five senses. And the one sense is taking over the world. And I guess I maybe I get angry about it. But this mm. is the other thing. We th- like we judge anger. Like I'm a human being. Like I feel really great right now. I'm yeah. doing like five things right now that I love. I want the world to think about the things they should be doing as opposed to the things they should be looking at. I love that. I love that. Um, why do we judge anger? I think that's a really cool comment because yeah. I do feel that you're angry and you're right. <laughs> nothing's wrong with being angry. I get yeah. angry, not so much at Instagram or people taking their clothes off, but I get angry at... Um, well, wait, let me get clear though. I'm not angry about people taking their clothes off. Oh, but just the, you I'm, know how I'm, that one sense is dominating, just like you said. Totally. You're angry at that the one sense taking over, how we become too reliant on the visual aspect of our experience and less yeah. reliant on the other ways. And you're right. And we do, and back to your point that you were just about to say, we do judge anger now as though it's a bad thing. And Whoa, it's, angry guy. Yeah. <laughs> we all get angry. We all get triggered. Mm-hmm. And I think as a yoga teacher, as a sensitive guy, as an artist, as a guy who's like really interested in the world around him, I see, I mean, I see it. And I like talking about it because I think it's an interesting trend that has happened in our culture. And as a yoga teacher, I am trying to provide a space. Like human beings have all the emotions of anger and jealousy and like sex and love. And if somebody criticizes anything, nobody knows how to fucking react. It's like, it's like, whoa, you just have to love like all the time. And that's just like unrealistic. True. But I will say this for me, like when I feel that emotion of anger, it's agitating inside. And I don't like that feeling of being agitated. And so there's a lot of things that have made me angry in the past that I've been really working hard on, especially lately this year through meditating more and writing more and looking at myself that I'm, I'm trying to maybe let, get less angry at and like, oh, I can disagree with that and that's cool and go less into that space because I don't like feeling agitated. I don't like what that feels like in my body. Hmm. And you're right. We don't have to be in love all the time, but I like how love feels in my body. That totally. feels great. You know, I like how peace and acceptance feels in my body. I don't like how jealousy feels in my yeah, body. Yeah, but I just, I don't think, I'm not asking for you and I to argue and things yeah. like that, but I did like when I called you and we had a disagreement. Like oh, yeah. people don't know how to argue in a mature way and they do it on a social media platform and and, the, and that's why there's bullying involved because people love a spectacle and mm-hmm. people jump on board and I don't think people know how to maturely like disagree. Like like you and I, I call you and we're listening and we're arg- we're not even arguing, we're disagreeing, but then we're sort of like understanding the other person's viewpoint and then we walk away from it, from it and we're like, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." But I think we can disagree without getting angry. And I love disagreeing. I will be the first to disagree with something and almost to a fault. I'm almost contrarian by nature and it's something yeah. that I'm trying to to rein in a bit. I did have an interesting experience on Instagram a few weeks ago. Quasi well-known yoga teacher posted something as a, uh, quote, conversation starter, end quote. Oh, and, so f- really? And I... That's hysterical. And I commented, you know, I, I, I like what she does. She does great stuff. And I offered, I offered a different idea. I offered just something different. Um, it, maybe it was a little bit pokey. I'm not going to say that it was bereft of any... Um, I don't know. Pro- provocation. Maybe it was, I maybe had a little provocation in there, but man, like this person's followers 
And this person kind of started jumping on me and then I started getting it in my DMs. And then like somebody brought up like my sexual history in the comments. I'm like, wow, like we're talking about yoga. Like what does it have to do with like who I've been with in the past or the mistakes I've made in my personal relationships? And people started getting nasty on me. And I ended up like DMing this person. I was like, hey, what's up? Like I was actually really just trying to participate in the conversation. And it just ended with fuck you. This person said, fuck you and blocked me. And I was like, wow, I get it. You know, like I, this is the disagreeing is something that people struggle with. I think everybody wants like this. People, people struggle, people struggle with disagreeing in a public platform. And for whatever reason, I almost feel like you were getting off on doing it in a public platform. And that's the problem. People, it's like, you and I could have had our disagreement publicly on my Facebook or my Instagram or I, but then other people get involved. And of course she had the reaction that she did because it wasn't a disagreement between you you and her. It was a public disagreement and she has followers and she's insecure and she's wondering what people are thinking. And I just think that's unfair to think that what happened isn't a normal thing. Yeah, well, just for me, it's like if you're going to, I, if I'm going to post something, I encourage people to question it, hmm. or maybe even disagree with it. And I love being proven wrong. I love it when something that's been something like, for example, that I've taught forever, an alignment cue or a a theoretical idea gets questioned. Like, for example, just recently, uh, the great yoga teacher in Santa Monica, she's not even a yoga, I wouldn't even say that she calls herself a yoga teacher, mobility teacher. Mm -hmm. I saw she posted something about no clawing the fingers in handstand. Her name's Sarah. She's great. And, uh... She said something about don't claw the fingertips. And that's like a cue that I always use. Like, yeah, like you're clawing at the mat. Really push your fingertips down. And, yeah. and I, wow, whoa, why? Like, I know that she's probably a lot smarter than me with anatomy and kinesiology. So it took, it, it, I wanted to comment right away. Like, whoa, why not? You know, and like talk about it publicly. But I was a little bit shell-shocked from this last interaction. So instead of questioning her publicly in the comments, I went into like a DM and I'm like, hey, why? Like, tell me educate me and she did she did and it was great and i was like wow all right like i guess i have to rethink that one so i i love talking i love conversing i love disagreeing i love being devil's advocate but you're right i think we live in a world where it's really hard for people like things are served up in such a a sugar-coated way and a kumbaya way and people are afraid to be direct and disagree or well and it's not a conversation i want to move on to just one other this santa monica thing but last point before i move on mm-hmm. it's not a conversation starter and it's just so funny i literally recorded a podcast about this like a week ago i'm listening to the ceo of instagram talking about how people are becoming upset the biggest most profitable part part of their platform now is messaging and they call messaging and like if you respond to a story of mine or if you respond on a comment of mine or a post of mine, it's a conversation starter. A conversation is what you and I are having right now because two mm-hmm. people are actually talking. So she's not actually promoting a conversation. She's not, she doesn't want a quote unquote conversation. That's not what's going on when people are commenting on her on her platform or on her post. So I just I think the there's such a mixed confusing definition now as to what an actual conversation is yeah and i think people i mean but at the same time i admire that people are putting themselves out there and i still even though she said some stuff to me that wasn't great like i still think she's a good teacher and even though we probably have our personal disagreements for 
I'm sure whatever reasons she has that like I, I would never go out and say don't take this person's class you know? I just wonder what would have happened though like 50 years ago if, if... we were having it in person yeah. yeah or she asked it in class and they came by in the lobby afterward hey you said this in know. class like what about this well how many followers does she have just a guess Somewhere around me, I think, like 20, 30K Yeah, or she's something. worried that 20,000 people are like seeing what your dialogue happening and what they're going to think about that. But the truth is that like five people are seeing well, it, Well, that's you know? the thing. But, we ha- but Instagram does create this world where we ultimately think our lives are so fucking important. And they're not. And they're not. And that's, and again, I, I, I like we, even if you have 5,000 followers, people think like, Oh my God, my life is so fucking important now. And it's a fucking joke, but it does raise the ego and it does increase the narcissism of our culture because it gives people the impression that their lives are much more valuable than they actually are. I don't know, but I, you don't, I, I would you encourage don't people to look at the numbers. Okay, you have a few thousand followers out of eight billion people <laughs> on this planet. Like, that's really not a great percentage. No, but, you, but, you, but see, you're not thinking emotionally speaking no wait you are thinking but you're not thinking like that person that has like six thousand six they think their life is that much more valid like the person with ten thousand followers mm. thinks their life is more important than the one that has two thousand followers i mean we'll move on let them think that How did a guy like you end up in jail? Is that too personal? Well, it's funny that you pose it like that, a well, guy like me, well, because when I ended up in jail, I wasn't like you me like at all. This. Yeah. So you have to understand well, that that me, was a different Vetus well, that me, ended up in jail. That was me 25 years ago. Well, what's... You know, well, it, well the, when I grew up in Santa Monica, Santa yeah, Monica was wasn't... fucking different, right? Santa Monica was the cheap beachside town. Yeah. Everywhere, everybody came to Santa Monica for cheap rent, and mm. it wasn't it wasn't at all like it is today. It was a a quaint sort of artist community, and there's a lot of violence and poverty still in Santa Monica when I grew up there. Wow. That being said, we weren't lower class. We we're solid middle class, not lower middle, not upper middle, just middle middle. Um, there were some nice parts of Santa Monica for sure. I definitely wasn't on those sides, um, but I had a great. Great childhood, great upbringing. And your so, parents were together? My parents divorced when I was three. Okay. Um, but they're present, 50-50, uh, 50-50 custody growing up. We'd go back and forth, one week mom's house, one week dad's house. It was just, for me, an insight into f- like who I am and what I've dealt with was that I never really felt comfortable in my own skin. And from an early age, I remember being really interested in what other people thought of me hmm. really uncomfortable in my own skin um painfully socially self-aware and 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 insecure yeah and when i found drugs and alcohol that was a relief i remember like the first time i got drunk was just oh i didn't care what people thought i could have fun i could let loose i could just do whatever and i wasn't as worried about the social structures or what people thought of me or if I look cool or not. And it was great. And so I loved to drink and we started drinking and smoking weed and it was fun. And I fit in and I found a group of people that was like, all right, like this is, 
this is the crew I'm going to run with because we're having a blast. Yeah. And I was always really smart. I always did well in school and never messed up my education. Um, but yeah, and it was fun. And I explored. I explored more. I mean, when I was 15, we were raving and the rave culture in L.A. was brand new. And we we're doing ecstasy and acid and candy flipping and hippie flipping and going out to the desert for full moon parties. And that was a wild couple of years. Man, that was such a great time. And then I think when I was getting toward the end of high school, I started doing some harder drugs. I mean, were your parents like, or anybody or your brother aware of what was going on? Yeah, they saw me going down this road and they saw me, you know, I mean, I would have high times posters in my room. It's (laughs) tough to to see your kid with pictures of pot plants in his room and realize something's not going on. So, of course, they knew what was going on, but I was always pretty good at hiding it. I'd get in trouble here and there. You know, my dad was sober. My dad is a recovered alcoholic. And he, I remember, would take me aside and say, you know, son, some people experiment. Some people get hooked. I can't, you know, I can't decide what you're going to be. You know, that's Mm. for you and that's your path. But just be careful. And so they knew I was just having my time with exploration. And they tried to set as many boundaries, realistic boundaries as they could. And I'd push them all really, really hard. But I was still doing good in school. Because I was always smart. I could always figure it out. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was failing. I was still getting good grades. I was just, you know, becoming more and more on the fringes of, like, the social norms for what it meant to be, like, in a big public high school. You know, I mean, I had gone to a bunch of private schools, but I got expelled. I think my first drug, even before I drank or smoked weed, was rebellion. I love to rebel. Can't tell me what to do. I think that still is in me deeply. I got expelled from two schools before I even smoked weed for the first time. And... You know, once I got to harder drugs, as I was finishing high school, it was just like the next path. It was like, all right, we'll try some Coke. And then somebody had some heroin and great. I'll try that too. You were never like scared that something bad could happen? Eh, A little bit. You know, grew up, just say no, dare, the dare program. Yeah. And so I remember like the the propaganda around how drugs were so bad. But at that point, I had experimented enough to realize like, "Eh, drugs aren't bad. In fact, they were great. I remember the first time I did heroin. God, it felt so good. It was like I had been holding my breath and tensing every muscle my entire life. And I could finally, finally just let, go. Ah, let it go. It was the bomb. And I'm convinced if you gave that drug to anybody and didn't, it told them it was some new you know, herbal supplement that everybody would be in. It just feels so good. Yeah. And it was something that I chased for a long time. And it, I'd be, it's so addictive physically, spiritually, emotionally. I put everything in my life aside for that drug. That's how powerful it was. Ended up like dropping out of school, pretty much burning every single bridge of relationships I had, kicked out of the house, living on the street. And yeah, and that was just sort of what, and you're living on the street with a $200 a day habit. Something's got to break. Figure out something to get money for dope every single day. And I am lucky that I only spent a year in jail because I did some shit back then that was like worth a lot more than a year. So, you know, through the grace of this universe, whatever you want to call it, man, like I was fortunate enough to get only a year in jail. And, um, and it was scared straight, dude, for real. Like it was, I went to Supermax. My crime was a violent crime. So they didn't put me in like a low level place. I went to the Supermax. And it was intense. And there were guys in there that like, I didn't even realize it existed before. Yeah. It was like scary. And here I am. You're right. This little like 18 year old kid from the West side. Like, Oh shit. Like, what am I doing in here? It was scary, man. And, uh, I remember when I got out, it was, I just, that first year or two being out and being sober, I just didn't want to go back. 
I was just, I was on this parole wow. where you call a number every night to see if you drug test the next day. So you have to call after 7.30 to see if you test the next day. So I had all these signs over my room, like, don't forget to call, don't forget to call. And if you call and you're in that next morning, you have to drug test the next morning or you go right back. And so, you know, I was on that for a year and a half and I did not want to go back. And I learned, I started learning how to live a life without drugs and alcohol, which was really uncomfortable. That must have been fucking really hard. It was really uncomfortable, dude. Like I was sweaty palm guy, I think, for maybe like two or three years straight. Like so insane. All, all the stuff that I had pushed down with drugs and alcohol, all those fears, insecurities, um, needing to be seen in a positive light, being afraid to form relationships with other men, being afraid to form relationships with women, all that stuff was right there and it was right back at the surface and I didn't have anything to push it down with or to, you know, sort of smooth it out with. And it took me a long time, but I feel fortunate enough now that it's been, it'll be 20 years in like three weeks, man. Wow. And I'll have 20 years sober and I have learned to live life in a pretty decent way without the use of drugs, man. It's pretty cool. But that's a bit of my story in a nutshell. No, it's no, I think, look, I know you have to go soon. We can do all this stuff like yoga and go to the go to a therapist and we could create friendships. We can become a successful yoga teacher. We can appear to have everything figured out, but we all have our fucking demons mm-hmm. and we are all struggling. I mean, I was sick as a dog when I was 12 years old and I will never forget to this day. My parents thought I had leukemia and I remember them taking that long-ass 12-foot needle into my spine or into my bone marrow because they thought I was going to die. And I've dealt with health shit for 15, 20 years, and I've been in good health for the last 15, thank God. Um, So we all have our shit. And so we all pretend to have like these perfect lives and because we're scared to show our cards. And I... I think the reason why I liked you as a yoga teacher so much is because I I sensed underneath the masculinity that there's a guy that's lives through some serious shit. And we all have that. And it could be through divorce. It can be through addiction. It could be health stuff. It could be through rape. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are coming to yoga for a myriad of reasons. And it's not to hold handstand on top of a rock. And I think that's the thing. And that's what's so powerful about your story and, and the power of yoga. I mean, yoga does have the power to truly heal and change lives far beyond having good abs, a great ass. It has the power to transform. And it absolutely does. It's a big part of my sobriety. And I'm, yeah. And so I just, feel like I'm just really moved and feel really lucky that you're here and you've been a part of my life. And um, I'm happy that I'm sure it's still a struggle for you. It's funny you say that um, and talking about how yoga can help people change and how we come to yoga with our own traumas and our own stuff. Those first few years getting sober, they were rough, man. Like learning how to live life in a new way and experience Vetus in a new way and be present to myself and my journey. It, it took many years of, you know, consistent actions of showing up for myself and, and being there for myself 
And yoga was a huge part of that early on. I was fortunate that I had a few people in my life that convinced me to go to yoga and I started taking yoga classes. But man, in 20 years sober, sobriety isn't as much of a struggle anymore. And it's funny because you say that, oh yeah, post like handstand isn't the biggest part of that. Some people's, you know, some people are going through health stuff or different traumas or divorce and these other guys are focusing on handstand. Well, I, I think it's so funny because for a lot of us, life does get good. Yeah. And there are these periods in our lives where we aren't really confronted with much at all. You know, like we have, we've had, I think I told you in the beginning here, like I had a few years where I wasn't really meditating. Life was good. Life was smooth. My career is good. And a lot of the, in yoga, we call it tapas. A lot of the challenges that we have to walk through are involuntary. You know, like you mentioned divorce. I had a, I had a rough heartbreak, man, this year. And it was this opportunity that I saw as soon as it was happening. I was like, wow, I have this access point and I can either like try to mask it, maybe start dating right away, do other things so I don't have to feel this or I can sit in it. And I taught this yoga teacher training workshop recently to the advanced teacher trainers. And I sent them an email in advance. Like, I want us all to talk about the tapas that we are incorporating into our practice. Like, what are you doing to challenge yourself? And we got together that weekend and we went around the circle and so many people answers were just so weak. They were, they weren't hard. They were like, I wake up at five 30 to work out or I go without coffee sometimes. And I'm just like, that's not like tapas is like real hard. But then what I realized is the only people whose tapas felt authentic were the involuntary ones. Somebody who's going through a divorce, somebody who's going through a death in the family, somebody who's going through some health stuff. You know, the universe is going to throw shit at us at times. We're like, oh my God, I'm working on that one handed handstand. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm just working on getting out of the house in the morning, right? Yeah. It's going to take that shift. And when that shift happens to like, oh wow, here's, a, here's something real going on with me, that's where I lean on yoga. And that's where I lean on like the 12 step program and my meditation practice. And wow, like here's an opportunity for me to grow because as you know, once we grow and then all of a sudden life kind of gets good again, we get real complacent, man. It's easy to just kind of like rest on our laurels for a while. Yeah. Vitas Pascascus. Eddie Cohn. Uh, yeah, man. Um, I'm really just happy you took the time to talk and share your story and just talk about life. And I, I just, I think, um, I just, we are meant to be in human contact and think and ask questions and talk and hug each other and listen and our brains and the human body. I mean, this shit sounds so cliche as I'm saying, as I'm saying it, mm-hmm. but based on my past and my experience and the people that I'm around and the things that interest me, I just think we have so much potential. And I think it's more important now than ever to be aware of it and, and rise up and put the phone down and, and talk and communicate and enliven all of our senses that we're, and, and enliven the capabilities that we're all capable of. I just think it's important. And I think... It means a lot that you've talked to me on the show. You've been a big part of my life. And I know that I, I, I haven't seen you as much the last few years. But when I walked into SMPY just three days ago, I mean, I'm like crying a little bit right now because it just reminds me of who I was like six, six years ago. It means a lot that you're here. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Here, give me a hug. Got a hug one time on the podcast. 
Bye. It's <sighs> good. Well, thanks so much uh, for talking. I'm I'm back to somewhat normal again. But seriously, Vitas Baskowskis, by the way, can be found at Vitas Yoga on Instagram. He's teaching at Main Street Yoga in Santa Monica. It's fucking hot in here. I had to turn the air off because it like starts to um, gets. I, I can't have the air conditioning going in the background. So Vitas Yoga on Instagram. He's like all over the world. He's teaching in Bulgaria. He can be found online at Udaya. Uh, he's teaching at Yoga Works Main Street. Uh, he's teaching at SMPY, t- donation-based. I mean, he's the real deal. The cats want to come in. So again, to all of you out there, just thanks so much for listening to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral. And thanks again, Beatus, for taking the time to talk. Mm-hmm.